postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Welcome to Birthful Mighty Parent or Parent-to-Be. I'm Adriana Lozada, and I hope you're ready for two, two wonderful birth stories today. And for that, I will be talking with Alyssa Jennings, who did lots of prenatal yoga and hypnobirthing with her first, and then even more so for her second. Now, one of the things I found really interesting about her second birth is that even though she was experiencing strong involuntary pushes just before her baby was born, you can see how remarkably powerful the mind-body connection can be because even as she was experiencing this fetal ejection reflex, 
her brain was able to activate some sort of control in order for her to wait a few minutes. This is, of course, a very unusual situation because usually you're wanting to get baby out as quick as possible, not waiting. So extra kudos to her husband for knowing exactly what to say to help her activate her thinking brain. I also have to mention that during the episode, I get on a very teeny tiny soapbox about electronic fetal monitoring. And I didn't want to go too in-depth about that while talking with Alyssa, so if you want to know more about the evidence, I've added a couple of links in the show notes, including one to a short episode that I did specifically on the topic called Straight Talk About the Effects of Electronic Fetal Monitoring on You and Your Baby. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Melissa. It is great having you here on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, and I am excited to hear your stories. And I know you have two, and they're kind of like before and after you found the podcast. So that's always mm-hmm. fun to me to know that people like, anyway, have like that the podcast does something in helping with confidence and and helping you with outcomes. So I'm excited to hear about that. Absolutely. Let's take you back to when you were pregnant with your first. Mm -hmm. At that point, what did you know about birth? What were your expectations or wishes? How did you prepare, if if anything? Sure. I did not know much at all. I had had a couple of close friends who had babies, and the, the biggest thing that I took from both of them was to talk about breastfeeding before you have the baby, which was hugely helpful. I'm very grateful for them for that support because it was not easy for either of them. And that was very impactful in us having a good go of it. My husband at the time traveled, uh, he traveled two to three times a month. So doing a course together in a hospital for a whole day was not realistic for us. We did an online course and you could watch, it was through the hospital, but you could watch the videos as you go and at your own pace, he can take it on his laptop wherever he was. I also purchased a hypnobirthing program from a doula in Cornwall in England, actually. She has a full full program of things you can do on your own to get in that mindset and prepare for things that I found really helpful. And I read, I read the book Debunking the Bump. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I really liked the science behind here are some of the rules and here are the things you're not supposed to do and here's where it came from, maybe where there's some flexibility or make your own choice on some of these different items that you don't necessarily need to follow uh, strictly reduced from your diet. And that's that's about it the first time around. Cool. A lot and of reading. So then you did these things to prepare and how did you know once <laughs> that labor was happening? If you yeah. knew, you know, how did it, it all start? Sure. I, so I actually had contractions pretty consistently for about three weeks and they weren't painful, but it was just, it was enough to be annoying and ongoing long enough. And you're seeing your OB every three weeks at that point. So, um, she was aware and it just was getting irritating and, especially the first time you don't know what, what is it supposed to feel like? It would be so easy if I had done this before, but I hadn't. So when, you know, they're consistent, but they're not painful and they're not getting closer together. And so I just kind of hung out with that for a long time. I had spent a lot of time before I got pregnant, figuring out which OB I wanted because I wanted somebody who would listen to my preferences and give me information and let me make decisions. And that was really important to me. So she was wonderful about that. And and my main goal was no pitocin. I don't I don't I didn't have a preference really on epidural, but I wanted to delay it long enough that I would really be in labor enough to not need pitocin, if that makes sense. So that was my primary, I don't know why in my head that was it. I don't want pitocin. Whatever else happens is pretty okay. I had an appointment with my OB at right before 40 weeks. I was over four centimeters dilated already. I've been having contractions for three weeks. She mentioned that she was on call that weekend if I happened to go into labor in the following week and that the knowing that she was going to be there and that having her there would reduce, would increase the odds of things going the way that I hoped they would. I asked if it would 
make any sense or if there was a possibility that we could break my water at the end of the week if I hadn't gone into labor since I was so far dilated already. And she said that, but that was a possibility. And we talked through the constraints of if we do that and you're not in labor in four hours, here's what would happen. And, or, you know, here's what happens if you, we don't do that and next week, it could be somebody else. And I said, honestly, if you don't think this is like, if that wouldn't do it, tell me. And she said, I would tell you no, knowing what you want, if I didn't think it would work. So five days later, I was hoping really I would go into labor before that, but that did not happen. Five days later, we're at the, we go to the, it's a freestanding birth center at a hospital, but it's a, it's a separate building designed just for that. So we're there at five in the morning, um, ready to go. And we're, we're getting checked in. We're going to break my water and see what happens and super nervous and all the things that come with that. I was kind of questioning whether it was the right choice, but I'm glad we did because having her there made, made all the difference. Apparently I am incredibly difficult to put an IV in. So the HEPLOC, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. It took three attempts and I had a nursing student and at first I thought maybe it was because she just hadn't done as many, but no, it's, it's me. She did a fine job, (laughs) but that took three attempts and was really a pain and ended up being a pain the next time around too. And that's something I think it's one of those things that we don't ever talk about, but it's yeah. actually not so uncommon because when you're pregnant, you're, we know that, you know, blood volume changes and blood pressure changes. Not the, I mean, not your actual blood pressure mm-hmm. number, but like how much blood you have circulating, which goes up 50% than your usual blood volume. Right. It's harder to get a needle in a pregnant person's veins. And it, it's more, I'm not going to, I mean, it obviously wasn't the most painful part of the birth, but it was the most irritating easily because they're just poking and poking and poking and you've got other things going on and, and can we just get this part done, please? And it's not her fault. (laughs) I just really want it over with. So yeah, that I, I did not anticipate that. You're right. And I think, I don't think it's an uncommon problem at all. No, it's not an uncommon problem. But having said that, if we do talk about choices, you don't have to have one. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. rare. Usually people do want an, a HEPLOC in, but I have worked with several groups that they're like, you don't want one? You're good. Don't need mm-hmm. one. Yeah. It might have been a possibility. Part of that, at that point, the lead nurse assumed because I was there for having my water broken that there would also be Pitocin. And I actually had to point out at one point, no, there's no Pitocin. Check that order. And she did. And it wasn't there. And and that was all right. But I think she was kind of a, moving with her status quo. More like a, a this is an intervention, an induction. Right. An induction and we're just going to do yeah. normal induction. Yeah. Yes. So I think that was probably part of it. But that I it might also be standard procedure at that hospital. I don't know. And so somebody finally got the HEPLOC in, right? <laughs> they did. <laughs> they did eventually, yes. And OB comes in um, plus 7.30 in the morning and broke the water, no problem. Not uncomfortable. I mean, it was a little weird, but not uncomfortable. And immediately I was over five centimeters. And she said, "Don't if you're in the hallway, don't tell anyone out there your induction story because they'll cry. Um, don't share that yet. So because it... it it was working, she thought, the way she wanted it. Two things were going to move the way she wanted. So that was encouraging. Um, we went out in the hallway, walked around for a while, bounced on the yoga ball. Things got moving probably within the, the next 30 minutes pretty dramatically. I kept wanting to get in the tub. The nurse wanted the contractions to be a little stronger and more consistent. Baby needed to be monitored every 40 minutes, 420 minutes. I think was what they were saying. And they kept saying that I, you know, you can do whatever you want. We'll work around you, but also the baby's moving and they were trying to hold it. And it just, I felt like I was trying to accommodate that, even though they kept saying I didn't need to, it just felt, I don't know. It felt weird. Like I was causing problems. I wasn't, they were being lovely, but it just is awkward. That's also really annoying. It's really annoying. <laughs> we need a revolution in monitoring systems or just to get rid of it altogether and do something else because uh, I'm not going to soapbox about the uh, research doesn't really show any benefits from it, but we yeah. do it anyway, right? So, And the system the next time around at the same hospital was dramatically improved. So whatever's going on is, I think, getting better. But yeah, that was frustrating. I also... 
they have a lot of things at that hospital for if you want to go without interventions or without an epidural. There's a lot of stuff there. But because I didn't really know that doulas were an option at that time. And the, the tools were there, but I wasn't getting suggestions on how to use them. So there's a yoga ball, but what do I like, do I balance on it? What do I do with it? You know, at that point, I didn't really understand. So that would have been helpful. But we finally got to the point where I could get in the tub, which is fabulous. The tubs there are gorgeous and have beautiful glowing lights and all that jazz. Um, so we we got in the tub. Husband's with me, obviously. Um, did he get in the tub with you? He did not get in the okay. tub, no. But he was with me in the room with the tub. They're not that large. Um Turn, kind of turn the lights down. I had my affirmations going from the hypnobirthing program I was talking about. There's a couple of tracks that you that are intended to be used during labor if you want them to, and they're just soothing and have calm phrases and and lovely, wonderful. And so the the nurses even were commenting on what a relaxing atmosphere it was in there. And something else I didn't think about is that nurses have to take a lunch break. Of course, they have to take a lunch break. That makes perfect sense. But both of our nurses left the room and then somebody extended family member or something called and the nurse at the front thought they were trying to come to the hospital and came in to get my husband to talk to them. And we didn't want anybody to like come into the room. We didn't know what was going on. I said, go, it's fine. Talk to them, see what's going on. But that took me totally out of my zone. And I just couldn't get back out of my thinking brain after that. It completely threw me off. So I'm I'm in the tub by myself now. Nobody's in the room. What if I have to get out? What if something happens? What if I slip? I just all those crazy, stupid things that go through your brain that have no no basis in reality. But mm-hmm. when you're in labor, you know, things happen. Um, but it was the being suddenly being in there by myself, even though I knew he was coming right back or somebody was coming right back and everything was fine. It just is that weird, I don't know, weird mental thing. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. By this point, what was going on with contractions and the intensity? What were you feeling? Yeah, they were, the tub felt great, but they were, they were decently intense. I think when I got out of the tub, they checked again and I think I was like six and a half centimeters. And that was four hours later. So I felt like it was pretty decent progress for a fairly short amount of time. So then he finally came back. Yeah, he came back. Nobody was coming to the hospital. It was a misunderstanding. I'm glad we cleared it up though. But then when I, he came back, I got out of the tub. I just wanted to, I don't know, regroup, whatever. And I couldn't get back out of my own head at that point. And I started, I asked him, and said, I'm, I think I'm considering epidural at this point. Like, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know what to do differently. And the nurse offered Stadol, which I had knew, knew nothing about. But I wish I had. That's the one thing I did not research in advance that I wish I had. She, I think I didn't clearly communicate that my goal was to avoid the Pitocin and not necessarily the epidural. And she thought she was doing me a favor in offering an alternative that was not an epidural. But in hindsight, I wish I'd gone straight for the epidural because this, the the being present is so much easier on that and the state all is, was not great. So it's, I don't know how to describe it. What is it a narcotic or what? I mean, yeah. it's a pain, pain medication that lasted for a couple of hours, but I was in and out on that and slept sort of off and on. So what we use... In my neck of the woods is Nubane, but it's a similar purpose of it being something that it, it is narcotic. So it's it does go into your blood system and makes you sleepy. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, it you're not as aware. The idea is it kind of takes the edge of the contraction, but doesn't eliminate the contraction. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are able to sleep depending on how tired they are. But it can be even, did you feel like, you were able to get some decent rest with it or did you feel like every contraction, like it was a non-ending contraction because you just kept waking up only mm. for the contraction and were out for the rest of it? I felt very in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know that I got great sleep, but it didn't feel like one never-ending contraction either. I remember thinking at one point, I can still feel them, 
and they still hurt. I just don't care as much, which is a weird thing to that um, sounds right. <laughs> be thinking about at that point. And when she was after she when she first started putting it in, she said, "You'll feel a little bit drunk." And I was like, "Oh wait, hold what?" And then that was absolutely accurate, absolutely accurate. So it wasn't the greatest experience, but it was pretty short, and I did get a little bit of rest, which I'm glad I had for later. Um, but when that started to wear off, as I said, let's just do the epidural. I don't think coming off of it was the hardest thing because you're coming right back into these contractions that now are further on than what they were when you started it. And, and that was a hard transition to jump into no pun intended, because in hindsight, I probably was in transition, but it was, it was a pretty severe jump back in. Mm Mm-hmm. So I did do the epidural. That was about three o'clock. I asked for the epidural. I was about eight centimeters, actually, at that point. We found out later. Anesthesiologist asked why we waited so long. But, you know, I just, I wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do. So it's all right. It worked out. I'm glad I had it. Got some rest on the epidural that was much more relaxing, actually. And then about an hour later, so this is only 4 p.m. I'm at 10 centimeters Baby hasn't tur- turned yet, right? They they have to turn before or after that. Their head has to rotate. Yes. So I'm really glad that the nurse knew that because I didn't know anything about that. And I know in some cases, 10 centimeters, you start pushing. And I'm glad she, she said, nope, not yet. We used a peanut ball thing for probably 45 minutes, a couple of different sides, did some different things. They helped me. Now my not so useful legs helped me flip around and do different things to get him in the right position, which was great. And then probably started pushing around 4.45. My OB came over around 5. So that's only, it wasn't that long after. I mean, it was, what is that? If we broke the water at 7.38, nine hours later. We're not going to do math right now. We're yeah, going to say know. it's less than 12 hours. <laughs> it was, it was, I felt, I was happy with it. We'll put it that way. Yeah. I was happy with it. Um, so OB came and I said, all I remember saying is I really don't want an episiotomy. And she said, great. I hate doing them. So I pushed for almost three hours. Not quite. Almost three hours. The nursing student at this point didn't have any formal responsibilities from a, you know, maintaining anything standpoint. So she actually almost served as a doula. She was helping me relax between contractions. She was putting washcloths on my forehead. She was fabulous. She was, she was amazing. And my husband said he, he was running the epidural button. He said it made him feel really useful when otherwise he just felt like he had to, you know, can't help much. He was just kind of watching. I mean, he was being supportive, but he felt like there's not not much he can do to really help, but he can push that button Mm -hmm. whether it makes a difference or not. Baby was crowning for almost an hour, so I'm glad I had the epidural for that piece. Uh, but at 6.59 p.m., he popped right out. It was shift change, and there were a million people in the room, uh, which I did not think about that either, but there are a lot of people in those rooms. Yeah, because let's see, you had your OB and their resident. Mm-hmm. Was there a new resident also? Mm-hmm. Second that- set of every second set of so there were two, not prenatal the nurses for the, the, for the baby pediatric uh, nurses. pediatric nurses yeah yep. so two of those and then a second set for the shift change my nurses and then the second set of nurses so four of those my OB and a resident and I don't know probably four, I don't know yeah that's like that's, a dozen people it. it's a lot of people <laughs> with you and your husband that's like a dozen people yep, yeah a lot of people. Um, but he came out, he was, was born and, and did you like, what did they do yeah. with him? Did you get him right away? What happened? Yes. Yeah. I got him right away. He was um, starfished, right? <laughs> you know, arms and legs spread out, screaming purple and right on my chest, which was wonderful. I don't remember. I actually asked if I needed to deliver the placenta at some point and she said, you did, you already did that. So I don't remember any of that, but he was on me pretty quick and they, I didn't, I did ask for delayed cord clamping and I don't feel like it was immediate. So I think they did it, although I'm not, I wasn't present enough in the moment to really remember, but it wasn't like, oh, he's here and now we're cutting it. So 
I think we probably got at least a minute or two. My husband's one, one condition for me doing this interview was that I would emphasize for birth partners, make sure you use the restroom before mom starts to push because it could be a while. And, and see, he did not. <laughs> here, here's when a doula comes in really handy right. <laughs> among the million things a doula does uh-huh. is keeping an eye on the partner and saying, like, and, and herself, right? Uh-huh. And saying, yeah, I'm going to bathroom right now. This is, or say, I always tell partners, this is a really good time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> this isn't going to be like a 20 minute thing. You should baby <laughs> step away. <laughs> Yes. So that was his pro tip for all of the birth partners. Take a break. Thank you to your husband because I love that pro tip. <laughs> so how was your recovery with this baby? Like how did breastfeeding go? You had prepared. Mm-hmm. What was that those first few weeks like? Recovery with him was actually pretty good. Breastfeeding went great from the beginning. Big credit to all the people I talked to in advance who warned me that it well, as natural is not easy. And he latched on and within 20 minutes, 25 minutes of being born, which kind of blew my mind. I didn't, probably because he took so long coming out, I didn't really tear at all. And so that, I think that helped. It was smooth. Yeah. Recovery with him was easy. Breastfeeding took a while to get used to, even when it goes smoothly. I don't think it's easy, but thankfully we didn't have any issues with him as far as his latch or tongue tie or anything like that. So grateful for that. Hmm. Yeah. And I always love the the comparison of like, this makes so much sense to me of when you're learning to walk, like learning to walk is supernatural for babies. When they do it, you see them and they're learning to walk. But how many times do they not fall down and make mistakes and like, or take mm-hmm. missteps before they actually get it? Like similar to breastfeeding, similar to when you're learning to ride a bicycle too. <laughs> but, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, it's natural, but not easy. So true. Yes. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without 
third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. So I'm glad that everything worked out nicely for postpartum and that that went that way. So then you got pregnant again. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> you did. Um, well, we always knew we didn't want an only child. We wanted to have another if we could. and. Within a month, I think, of Caden being born, I said something to my husband, like, the next time I give birth, it's going to be so different. Like, the things that I do are going to be so different. And he was like, why are you thinking of, why are you thinking about that now? Like, I was so almost excited to, to approach it differently. Not like it's a thing to check off of a list, but I just, I felt like now that I had seen how the processes worked and what it really was like, I just felt so much more informed and and comfortable or confident in what was going to happen and what I wanted for myself and for my baby. So eventually, yeah, we did get pregnant with the second one and I found your podcast. I think I got pregnant in September or October and I found your podcast in November. So I listened all the way back from the beginning through pretty much everything. And I asked, I asked a couple of friends for doula recommendations and we found a doula, uh, a pair of doulas who own a yoga studio in Kansas city and they're amazing. And I had done prenatal yoga with the first pregnancy. I forgot to mention that I did do a lot of prenatal yoga. I think it made, I think it makes a huge difference just in your your flexibility and your ability to focus and get in, you know, center yourself and all of that. I just love it. But part of, of the doulas that I worked with the second time around was that they include some prenatal yoga with the package because it's so important to them that you do it. So I was going two to three times a week for six months. I think I did the hypnobirthing again my kind of my favorite things over and over since I had worked through it already. Some of those things that are triggers just stick with you. Another uh, benefit of that, that I forgot to mention before I downloaded some, um, I downloaded the tracks, the music that she has behind the hypnobirthing and I would play it out loud instead of over headphones while I was practicing because then baby could hear it. And after my first, after Caden was born, that song still to this day, actually, will soothe him and quiet him down and calm him down and put him to sleep no matter what's going on. It's crazy to me, just the level of relaxation that that song over and over and over conditioned while he was in there growing, I guess. It, it works. Like mm. did, you, did you get to hear the episode with Penny Simkin on Singing to Your Baby? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'll link it on the show notes because it's that same idea of you can create a, 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 a sound association for relaxation and it's great to have it like you I'm sure you experienced this that you can play it or sing it or hum it while you're driving and your baby's in the back you know in the car seat mm-hmm. you can't physically soothe mm-hmm. but you, the song will do the trick and it it's crazy it works like magic it's insane um, we still use that to to this day so that kind of blew my mind. Did you uh, use the same song for the second baby? I did. Mm-hmm. And so it works and for the family? We, yeah. It does. Now if I play it, my three-year-old will say, I don't want bedtime yet. Like he knows that that Aww. it's, but it, it just, it, I don't want bedtime yet. It makes him quiet and calm. <laughs> so we love it. Love but, it. So you yeah. mentioned that, you know, a month after getting pregnant, after having your first, you said the next time I give birth, it's going to be so different. What were some of the differences you wanted? I, 
I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to ever have something, agree to something that I didn't understand again. It came from me feeling like I should have known what the state all was. Not that the impact that it had was that negative, but I felt like I shouldn't have agreed to a medication that I didn't understand what it was going to do. And it took me a little bit to work through the guilt almost of not understanding what it was first, mm-hmm. but really not, I, you can't control anything, but that I would, I wanted to be informed before anything else would happen. And that also is what encouraged, helped encourage us to hire doulas the second time now that we knew what they were, because they know a lot of those things. And even though they don't, you know, you can't make the decisions or, you know, make a call one way or another, you've seen pretty much everything at some point. So knowing what's possible and what's not and what different things are and explaining those things would, I I knew I wanted that backup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just for your options. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, you're, I mean, I love my OB is so, was so open and communicated so well, but they're in there for what 5% of the whole process. So yeah, mainly to catch a lot of who's in the room. Yeah, they catch they catch the baby in a good on a good day. So yeah, helpful. So yeah, and you stuck with the same OB. I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so then was there anything else you did differently or wanted or prepared differently before we start with this story? No, just more of the more of the yoga the second time around. Right. Um, which, by the way, I love prenatal yoga. Feels so good. Yes. And it's helping also relax you. It matches perfectly with your hypnobirthing, great tools for labor. Like, I love mm-hmm. it. So then, okay, you're pregnant. You've prepared. <laughs> <laughs> How did this one start? Yeah. So again, contractions for a very long time. Um, three weeks, probably. I saw my OB in the morning. I think I was th- just over 39 weeks or right at 39 weeks. I saw her in the morning. She said I was four and a half centimeters and that she wouldn't be surprised if she saw me that weekend. But, you know, she doesn't like to say that because she doesn't want to get people's hopes up. But we both knew that I'd been having contractions for a long time. And I went to yoga later that morning, picked my son up from school around 2.45. And I was standing in the lobby with all like this field trip group of kids walking through. So I'm stuck looking at a clock. And then I felt a contraction that was just different. It wasn't painful, but I thought I should I should look at the clock just in case. And so I remember this group of children streaming in front of me as I'm watching the clock trying to remember what time it was. I didn't tell anybody for a little over an hour that they were contractions were continuing and they were stronger. I just was kind of enjoying that time of it being just me and him knowing what was going on. And eventually, I guess 4:30 probably told my husband and texted the doulas, you know, I think this might be, this might be different. I don't know. What should I do? Is it real? Is it not? I'm still only 39 weeks. And they said, take a bath, eat something. Let us know in half an hour. My husband made frozen pizza. It was the best pizza I've had in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I ate it in the bathtub and it was fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) It was wonderful. Um, So things kept going. They're eight to 10 minutes apart. They're definitely, you know, not not anything that I can't breathe through or even talk through if I needed to, but it was enough that I'm kind of closing my eyes through them and breathing. So I called my mom. She was three hours away to come stay with our son and had a babysitter come over in the meantime. Our house is about 30 minutes from the hospital slash birth center, but the yoga studio is five minutes from the hospital and they you can use that to labor if you're far away from the hospital. So we went there, even though we knew we were a long way off from going to the hospital, something about having a two-year-old in the house is not all that relaxing for uh, labor progress. So Mm -hmm. got the babysitter here and we went to the yoga studio and got there around 7 PM. Still, still nothing. I couldn't, you know, breathe through, meditate through, whatever. But it was nice to have that time, just us and quiet. We turned on our favorite trivia podcast when uh, the doula walked in. She was cracking up. She said, "What are you listening to?" You know, it was our it was our relax 
it was what we used to listen to to wind down before bed and and that's what we wanted at the time so so you I have had, to you have to share what it is because now I want to hear it yeah it's called good job brain and we love it awesome um, random facts and we love them we listen to and actually that will also soothe my second kid because <laughs> we listen to it going to bed <laughs> and make him learn things uh-huh you know, all sorts of random factoids that's so interesting going to the sort of like midway laboring place mm-hmm. this yoga place does they have it set up a really calm and loving environment what's it mm-hmm. look like yeah yeah they have they have the big yoga room where they do most of their classes and then they have a smaller room on the back that they do some littler workshops in there but also you can it's just lighting's low you can they have all the you know the props the bolsters blankets yoga balls in the basement you can bring up whatever you want there's couches downstairs it's very warm and cozy and it was a perfect stopping point hmm. um yeah and we had the they were training a third doula to see how they she was already a doula but to see how they run things so that she could be their backup and so they asked if she could come along and shadow so I had two which was fabulous she came around 7 45 made um she made us some tea she did some acupressure on my ankles and my feet it was just soothing music it was lovely really really relaxing time and really helped I think keep things moving to be not at home for, I know some people really want to be at home and the home birth thing sounds great for some people. And for me, I'm like, I don't want, I don't want that at all. I don't want that in my bathroom. (laughs) I don't want that in my house. (laughs) It's not soothing for me. So having that halfway point that wasn't the hospital was awesome for us. Yeah, that sounds really great. And you were being totally, totally pampered mm-hmm. and taken care of, like with tea and the acupressure mm-hmm. and the massage. That's lovely. It was beautiful. And then um, my the head doula, I guess, who was helping me came at 8.30, 8.30 at night and we're doing hip compressions at that point and you know, things start to get a little more intense. There may be six, five minutes apart. Uh, they have a counter in the front where you check in, and she said, "You know, lean over this. I'll hold your pull your arms from one side, and your husband can do hip compressions." And them kind of leaning over the counter, and she said, "Many mamas have labored in this room, and I just felt one of your podcasts talks about it too. This, like the the power of all the women who've gone before you, and it was like I felt them all saying, you 'You've got this. You can totally do this.' It just that room, I, you could feel it." Uh, it was really lovely. So mm. loved having that support and that place to to move forward without being quite so far away. Yeah. Um, I think it's something uh, – let me see if I can get the number right. I get a little dyslexic with it. But I think it's two, It's either 225 or 250 – it can't be 252. 255, the amount of people that are giving birth every minute. Oh, my goodness. So at the very least, there's 255 people giving birth with you all in different ways at the same time. That's so cool. Yeah. So cool. So you were there leaning over the counter with all the Mm -hmm. energy of all the ones that have been before and will come after. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I started to feel like I wanted to be at the hospital, not because I wanted to be there necessarily, but I had this memory of the heplock and had a feeling they were going to have me put it in. And I did not want to be in transition trying to do that. So I, it was probably a little earlier than she wanted me to go, but around 10, 15 at night, I said, I, I want to go to the hospital. I just want to like, let's get through triage and get that over with. I, I almost, I feel like it was almost holding me back knowing that that was coming and I was dreading that piece, but on the other side, it would be fine. I just had to get through this little thing. And so we we did. Before we left, she said, in your mind, how do you want the rest of this to go? How do you see this progressing? And I said, we're going to get to the hospital. I want to get in the tub as soon as I can. And I want to have this baby by midnight. She's like, great. My husband would love that. Let's go. So we get in the car. I'm in the back seat. I, I was when I hear stories and people say they're in the car driving to the hospital, I'm, I was always wondering, how are they doing? Are they sitting? That doesn't sound comfortable. What are they doing? I was in the back seat, leaning over the convertible car seat sideways because that's what felt comfortable. So we were only going a couple of miles. <laughs> do what you got to do, I guess. But yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we get there and we walk in to the birth center and I will never understand that I have two doulas with me. I'm 
clearly having a contraction in the entryway. And the person at the front desk says to my husband, how can I help you? And he's like, we're, we're having a baby. Can we go upstairs, please? I think it's pretty clear how you can help us. Please check me in. So we get upstairs eventually. There's people in the waiting room. It's weird. You're con- you know, having contractions in front of them. That part's awkward. But we finally get into triage, which is, again, triage is what it is. It's not fun. That should change. That- there has to be a better way than that. So we're waiting, waiting, get on the monitor, um, have to lay on my back for a contraction, which is the worst contraction of the entire experience. Absolutely worst contraction, flat on my back, six and a half centimeters. It took, again, three attempts to get my head block in. And his heart rate dropped while I was having that contraction flat on my back. So when we get into the L&D room, the nurses say she needs to be monitored constantly. And my OB said, no, she doesn't. She doesn't need to be monitored constantly. It's okay. And they said, look at this heart rate drop. And I think there was maybe a difference between what her standard was and what the hospital standard was. And she said, "Um, so do the monitor for an hour. And if he's consistent, take her off. So that that felt, okay, decent compromise. And I did not know, but they have different monitors now that are at that hospital that are completely waterproof and they have some that are sort of kind of waterproof. Like you can sit that you can sit in the tub, but you can't get the monitor underwater. And that doesn't seem that helpful to me, but thankfully my doula knew the difference. And so she said, no, she wants the ones that she can submerge. And they were pretty, they were really easy to work around. Actually. They, they didn't feel invasive. I didn't notice them. Once we had them on, I didn't notice them again. They were easy. Great. Yay. And completely submergible. Yeah. They were wonderful. I had actually brought, because last time the hep, the tape kept coming off when my arm got wet for the, the hep lock, and it just was so irritating. So I had ordered a waterproof sticker cover thing like for um, pick lines for people who have more permanent uh, IV lines for chemo and things like that. I ordered one and brought it with me just in case the stuff kept coming off and my doula thought that was hilarious, but it's a great idea. I'm gonna go and put one in my birth bag now. When it's that irritating, and when that's the thing that's driving you nuts, you know, little thing. I mean, at certain points in labor, little things drive you insane. <laughs> and so, I did not want that to be an issue again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. So at this point, like once they got you into a room, you were in the tub pretty quickly. Yeah, once they got the heplock in, I kept saying. Let me get in the tub. Let me get in the tub. I don't care if you put it in while I'm in the tub. I'll put my arm on the edge of the tub. I don't care. Just get me in the tub. And they did. And turn the lights down. Um, The doulas had LED candles. They turned on my affirmations again. It was just so calm. I don't even think I saw my L&D nurses. They were kind of poking their heads around, checking in with the doulas, thumbs up. That working relationship was fabulous. They'd all been to that same hospital a million times. They have tons of babies there. So everybody kind of I think was familiar with everybody else, which was beautiful. Once we were in the tub, it was, it was great. It was great. So relaxing. I was there for a little under an hour probably. And I hit a point where in my head, I felt, I, I thought this is, this is where last time I said I couldn't do it. And I know I can do it this time but I need somebody else to say it too. And so I said out loud, I don't know if I can do it. When in my head, I'm thinking, I know I can do it, but, but tell me that I, you know I can. It's silly to need that from outside, but... No, that reassurance is huge. Yeah, yes. it made a big difference. And we had talked about in advance, what are the things that you want me to say when it gets really hard? What are the triggers for you that will make you, you know, remind you that you can do this and you're, you're strong and all of those things, you can do hard things. And so it, it was exactly what she needed to say that back to me. And I was like, yes, yes, that's what I needed. It's so interesting to look back afterwards and be able to pinpoint where you were in different parts of labor and not be able to see it at the time because you're in it. Mm -hmm. But it's so clear later. So I was in the tub for about an hour probably. And then I I was saying, I, I, I think I'm ready to push. I need to push. And they weren't sure that I was six and a half centimeters, not that long before that. So I think they were afraid that if I got out of the tub, I wouldn't be able to get back in. 
or that maybe something would throw me off and wait until, are you really sure? Are you really sure? And finally I was like, no, I'm getting, I need to get out of this tub unless you want this baby in the water. So (laughs) (laughs) not the ideal water. I don't think that's not the kind of um, water birth you want. So they, I finally, I get out of the tub and she said, do you want to try to use the restroom or do you want to sit on the toilet for a couple contractions? Nope. Straight to the bed. And the back of the bed was angled up a little bit. And I kind of, I just climbed on it kind of on my arms and almost all fours, my forearms up on the angle and kind of leaning down on my knees. And the nurses came out and started to pull up the, the foot rests or the stirrups, I guess. And I'm just shaking my head. I can't, I can't talk at that point, but I'm shaking my head. And so my doula says, no, she doesn't want those. She wants to say, I think she wants to stay like this. Nobody was really sure what I wanted. I was not speaking, but there's no way I was moving at that point. But my OB hadn't gotten there yet. They called her when I got out of the tub, but she was in the hospital, but not in the room. So they told me, hold off if you can, hold off if you can. And man, when you are super ready to push, waiting is hard. I don't, I didn't intentionally push, but there were pushes happening. So that I, I did my best, but that's that <laughs> fetal ejection reflex, uh-huh, right? You uh-huh, can't yeah. butt push. Nope. That uterus in command. There was no active anything happening, but he was moving. So finally, when she got in, thankfully I had my head down on the bed and think my doula said, she's here, you can push. And oh, before, right when, when they were telling me to wait, it was five minutes till midnight. And my husband said, if you can make it five more minutes, you get to stay here a whole nother day. And he knew how much I would value a day in the quiet with somebody else bringing me food. And that did it. That got me that extra five minutes until the doctor could get there. <laughs> so it pushed me off just long enough. And, you know, he thanked Bless him for knowing what what was important to me in that moment. Well, and that's it. That I love that because it shows how much he knows you mm-hmm. and how regardless of like everybody has their not their job but their their responsibilities during labor. Mm-hmm. And his is just to be the loving person that knows you best of all and help. That is something nobody else could have told you. Mm-hmm. And made such only him knew that mm-hmm. and what that meant. That I love. It's so great. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have honestly don't know that we would have made it that extra <laughs> five minutes for her to get there because he was born at 12, 11 a.m. And so if he hadn't had gotten me to wait that couple of minutes, I it easily could have been before midnight. You got a baby and your extra day. <laughs> I did get my extra day and it was maybe three maybe three pushes after wow. she got there. I don't know. It was it was quick. And I had put it off for probably I was trying not to push for probably twenty minutes, but yeah, twelve, eleven AM, he was seven pounds, one ounce, and it was great. And did he also go did you get to pick him up like because you were sort of on your knees so did yeah. they do how how um, did you I, end up getting your baby <laughs> Good question uh, there's a I actually heard in my head at the moment there's I think it's a WAP, the Wapio episode where she says there's a pause if the mom gives birth there would be a pause before she picked her baby up and it, they asked if I wanted to turn over and hold him and I said I don't think I can yet just give me a second because my, my my quads were so tired. Slipping over was hard, but I did. I needed that. I took that breath and I flipped over and it was maybe 30 seconds and they put him right on me and delayed cord clamping again. And it, yeah, it was, it was hard to flip over. Didn't see that coming. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That makes sense. Kind of worn out. But then you did it. And I did it. Yeah. How was the post-birth for this one in terms of like the immediate post-birth? Were you aware of delivering the placenta this time? Did you have any terrors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was aware this time. It was it went smooth, but I did know this time. And I had, I think, one stitch on each side is all. It wasn't wasn't bad at all. He did latch pretty quickly for as far as breastfeeding goes, but we found out later he had a tongue tie. And it just felt like he was eating constantly, constantly, constantly. And I was sore and he was hungry all the time and just upset and I couldn't figure it out. And um, so if there's one thing I would say on that front, if it doesn't feel right, even if people tell you that his latch looked great, 
that's the thing that we had the lactation consultant in the hospital come look. His latch looks great. Well, but he's hungry every 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and he's nursing for 45 minutes. That's not, that's not right either. So um, we had to work through that and eventually got the tongue tie corrected, I think five or six days in. And it was a whole different world. But if it doesn't feel right, it's not. With the revision for the tongue tie, did you do anything mm-hmm. else before or after to help with that process or just the clipping? Yeah, we did. We went to the chiropractor for him, pediatric chiropractor, and she gave me a few little therapy things to do. He had a really strong gag reflex. And so we did a little bit there, but mostly it was mostly for the gag reflex, not for the not for the clipping. And then we also did some cranial sacral therapy for him. He was curving into a C sort of and at a few treatments with that and the chiropractor and he just was all much more relaxed. Poor little guy was all scrunched up. I don't know what happened. Probably coming out so fast, but he just needed to release a few things and then he was a much happier little peanut. Yay. So that was the first week or so. Mm-hmm. Then things with breastfeeding, everything fell into place? Yeah. He he uh, eats like a champ. It is He has wrist rolls and ankle rolls and you would never know that eating was a challenge for him. So that was, I was very grateful that we had had the, we'd had friends that had tongue tie or lip tie situations as well. And I was really grateful to have heard those stories because I don't think that I would have, I would not have known otherwise. And I don't know that the pediatricians would have caught it if I hadn't brought it up. I don't know that I would have been confident enough to bring up my concerns. And so they wouldn't have looked right. So. Right. Yeah, especially since the latch looked good. Yeah. But you yeah. knew that the transfer wasn't. Mm-hmm. All in all, though, do you feel, how do you feel about your stories? Do you feel there was stuff to process? Do you feel happy about them? Do you feel it was what you wanted? Now I feel happy about both of them. The second one I could not have written more perfectly. The first one did take me a little bit to get over and at first I thought it was the epidural, but it wasn't. It was the state all and me not knowing what it was ahead of time, that it took me time to to be okay with the fact that I didn't know it all before it happened. I've ne- I'd never done it before. And that's, I'm, I'm an information freak and a control freak. And that was really hard for me to process. But that kind of forgiving myself for that, everything else about it, I'm, I'm happy with the way everything went. It was perfect. I had no problems with having an epidural. So yes, now they're both very happy stories for me. Good. Yay. I'm glad. I mean, they sound great, but it's only the person who lives the story that Mm -hmm. can qualify it in that way. Yeah. So aside from the state doll, though, is there anything you would do differently? Either one or in terms of the pregnancy preparation, postpartum Mm. at any point? Yeah, I don't. I don't think I would do anything differently from the second one. And I, I mean, even going in, I had told the doulas, whichever way that whatever happens, if I decide I want an epidural, that's fine. If I, if we end up having a a C-section, we have a C-section as long as it's my choice and I have information. And if they say you need to do this or your baby's in danger, yes, I will choose to do that. But give me the opportunity to say a yes or no. And that's really all that I wanted, no matter what happened. So I'm happy. I'm really happy that I was able to have the second one without any other interventions. But as long as my as I was given options, I would have been happy whatever happened. That's the the biggest thing I did. I forgot to mention the birth preparation class that that I did the second time. So the first time we did the one online through the hospital and it's the little online courses and here are the stages of labor and here are the different, you know, kind of the technical version. And then the one that the, the studio had is who cares what stage of labor you're in? Here's what to do when she's like digging her nails into your arm and you don't know how to help her feel better. Here's how to do hip compressions. Here's how to support if she want, feels good in a squat, like all of that kind of stuff. That was so good. So helpful. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like my kind of childbirth education. Yes. Who, yeah. cares? Like, who cares? It's not linear. Who cares? <laughs> who cares how far along you are? It's not. Are you going to tell her at the time? Is that going to help? No. Then let's talk about something different. It seems like this is transition. Are you aware <laughs> that this? Is- <laughs> yeah, that would not have gone well. 
Love it. Um, I'm also, as you were talking, I, uh, I'm thinking I'll also link in the show notes the episode with Kristen Pascucci on informed consent. Mm-hmm. Um, because that idea of it as long, you know, having it be your choice, because you nobody loves your baby more than you. Nobody wants the best outcomes for them than you. But it makes such a difference, such a difference when you are the one saying, okay, let's do this, rather than things happening to you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that makes total sense to me that you're like, whatever, whichever he is born, but as long as it's my choice of, I, it's my choice to agree to this. Yeah. And, and I think having an OB who was flexible in, in even just the way I was on the bed, honestly, the second time, knowing in advance that she would be willing to go with the flow and how things were was really helpful. And those people exist. But if you don't ask those questions in advance, you don't know until you're in that situation and they're telling you to sit a different way or do something else. And so afterwards, my she'd never my doula, my OB had never met actually. There's this funny picture of I'm holding the baby on me and they're like shaking hands across me. Hi, nice to meet you after we just helped deliver this human. Um, but my doula said thank you for you know for letting her stay the in the position that she was in. And she said it was working beautifully. Why would I have why would I do anything different? Mm. But you know, that's a really of course not. But Thank you anyway. Yeah. And I find, if you've listened to the episode on on rethinking the pushing stage, I find that when you have a situation like what you described, where it's like, I need to get out of this tub unless you want the baby born here. (laughs) All right. And then you instinctually walk and get into that bed. However, you feel well so it's if you get in the position that's right for you and at that point when you're being told you know hold on as much as you can <laughs> at that point you were probably crowning i don't know if there is any ob that at that point trying to gown up and get everything ready to catch baby is going to say well i need you on your back like right the head's coming out just catch <laughs> True. Yes. We were a little late in the game. Yeah. No, but you like, I think that's the point I was trying to make is you weren't late in the game. Mm -hmm. I wish everybody could have that sort of pushing stage where you're not told and managed and it isn't discouraged. It's more people like baby is being born. So you guys come along or not. Right. You're you're either going to catch him or you're not, but he's coming out one way or another. Exactly. So, and and then in, t- in total, how long was your pushing, quote, 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 unquote, pushing stage in the, this time? Like, when did you get out of the, and I guess it was longer because you were waiting for your OB yeah. to show up. Count the time I got out of the tub, it was maybe 35 minutes. If you count the actual pushing time, it was like seven. There you go. Compared yeah. to almost three hours last Almost time. three hours. Yeah. I love the affirmation of hearing that that does happen because I see it happening, but we need to, I don't know, reclaim that more because it is possible. And when it, I find that whenever it gets managed of let's get you on your back, let's get it out, let's hold your breath, let's do it. So telling you how the position to get into and how to push and how to do it and start it right when you're 10 because the door is open, not because like baby has descended and is ready. Mm-hmm. It just makes for, such a harder experience yeah yeah for sure yeah so uh, so yay that that baby came like that mm-hmm. <laughs> and that you got your extra day yes i got my extra day they make great food they really do uh, <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard anybody say that about I a hospital it, so you know okay that gives it a benefit, but yeah, they do a good job. Between the hospital food and the pizza and the tub. <laughs> I was well fed. Well fed. <laughs> what is something you would like to tell expectant parents about birth? Even though you haven't done it before, trust your instincts anyway. I think I was hesitant to do that because I, I don't know. I haven't done this. How would I know? You've seen it a million times, but it's just a different ball game. And if your brain or your heart is saying one thing, just follow it for a while. Mm. I love it. Yes. And, and the answers will come to you. Mm-hmm. 
Alyssa, thank you so very much for being on the show today. It's been so fun hearing your stories. It's been so fun sharing them. Thank you. They, yours, everybody else has really helped me. So it felt, it felt like the right thing to do to give back. That was mom of two, Alyssa Jennings. And remember how I couldn't recall the exact number for the estimated number of worldwide births per minute? Well, it is 259. So about 259 people are giving birth right now in 259 different ways, in their own unique ways. And if that's blowing your mind or any other part of this episode really got you thinking, tell us about it. You can connect with us on Instagram at Birthful Podcast. And in fact, we love it when you tag us in your stories. So do that. Take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram story, sharing what was your biggest takeaway from the episode. Make sure you tag us at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and also download your free postpartum preparation plan. And if you're finding this podcast to be an invaluable resource for you and you can't get enough of it, then the best way to support us is by purchasing any one of the classes that I mentioned, taking one of my doula workshops, or trying out some of the wonderful products made by our sponsors. This is what really allows us to keep doing this work. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plotty. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful, for telling your friends about it. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen. And then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.